Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock, joined by Dylan DeChair in studio. Dylan, there are some things that we need to discuss in the golf world. It's that time of year that lead up to the Masters, people start caring about golf again. More people listen to this podcast than they were in October. That's where we're at. But there are a lot of things we need to discuss about this time of year. We've got a list, five minutes per topic. What is the first thing that we need to discuss? The first thing we got to discuss today, Justin Thomas is making a lot of waves on the internet. He's making a lot of waves on TV this weekend, first by winning, but also, you know, people get a little fired up. People like a little controversy. Justin Thomas kicked a fan out on, what was it, the 16th hole? It sounded like you started with Justin Thomas kicked a fan. He kicked a fan out of the golf tournament. Uh, What was the 16th hole on Sunday? And the fan, you know, yelled his ball to get in the bunker. Um, he said he had he'd said a couple other derogatory things earlier in the round. Uh, and, you know, it just looked like he got frustrated. This guy got in his grill a little bit. Anyway, it set off this whole firestorm. People had a lot of takes. Uh, you know, Justin Thomas was being soft. Justin Thomas was totally right. And more fans should be kicked out. Uh, the, the whole spectrum. And he ended up apologizing, actually, yesterday afternoon. He said he was classic losing fans. Classic. It was kind of a classic apology also of, like, I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah. Um, so what is the correct take? We need to settle in on what the correct Justin Thomas opinion really is. Well, I think this is, first off, straight out of the Bubba Watson playbook. Like, freak out about something on the course, be super thin-skinned, uh, go so go as far as ejecting a, a fan, uh, and kind of be the the big swinging man in the arena, throwing your attitude around, and kind of just having a bit of an ego, and then backtracking and and feeling like you're losing fans, and then apologize. It's it's just yeah, very do, classic. Do you think he thought he was being like a tough guy in the moment? Like, oh, you're done, buddy. I think that he thinks he can do that. I think that Justin Thomas has enough confidence. And a little bit of an ego to say, yeah, I can do that. And that's just too sad because that's not a good look. Not a, not a good look for golf. Well, and the thing about the internet, right, is that everyone can be like a little bit mad about something, right? No one's super, super, super mad about this. But when everyone's just a little bit mad and then everyone together gets a little bit mad, then all of a sudden, you know, even bigger than Justin Thomas winning the golf tournament is like, all right, the whole internet's kind of mad at Justin Thomas for you know, being a little sensitive. I'll say this. It shouldn't be up to JT. Don't you think? I mean, these crowds are a little sauced up. I want to see, I want to know what this dude was drinking. First of all, like, I just kind of want to know because he had to have plenty of it. If you're, if you're, if you're the one guy that's picking apart Justin Thomas in the playoff between Justin Thomas and Luke list, you got to be sauced up on something. Second of all, like if we're going to allow crowds to, to to balloon into what they are, and we we want people to have fun at golf tournaments and take pictures and videos and yada yada yada, we have to have a little bit of trust that these people will self police themselves. It should not be up to Justin Thomas to kick people out. It shouldn't be up to Justin Thomas uh, to feel like, hey, that guy is is being derogatory. And I feel like the tour players are starting to catch on to this that they can do this. It's just not. It's a slippery slope, don't you think? JT does it a couple times. Rory McIlroy did it a couple weeks ago. I don't think he'll do it again, though. I think, you know, if you read his apology, yeah, he was kind of rattled by this. I don't think he'll do it again. So I think the correct take is, yeah, we can be a little bit mad. 
But let's not turn that into, you know, Justin Thomas is a bad guy. Let's just say, you know, he's a little sensitive. And he is. And next time, hopefully you learned a little bit from this experience. JT, don't don't kick people out. It's not up yeah, to you. Like chill out for a second. Chill out. Chill out. I think that, that JT learned something. I think that he's he's putting himself out there though. Like last week at the Genesis, he said you know, crowds are getting they're a bit unruly, and the, you know this is something that we've seen on tour a lot now, and, and it's not a good look, and, and they can say whatever they please, and you know I think this is maybe him taking a stand. Tour players can can kind of, you know, one thing that they tend to do is they they think is a group. One player does one thing, and the next player thinks it's okay for them to do the same thing, and then all of a sudden you've got four players doing it, and we've seen it with the Olympics, we've seen it in other places as far as just like tour players speaking with their feet and and going to an event or not going to an event like. This is how they think and act together. So I would not be so- shocked if, if another player did this soon. And there, I should say there's a definite line. If fans are yelling while you're hitting, before you're hitting, like in your backswing. It's tricky. That's a no-go and a hard no-go. And the more we get, uh, you know, fans betting live on stuff like I think that's going to be a, an issue going forward if people Ooh. have money on it. Uh-oh. I think there is an issue here. That's the alarm. Where you can screw someone's game up, but that's not what happened here. You just kind of got in the wrong place the wrong time with a frustrated Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas, chill out, man. Chill out, JT. All right, on to the next topic. Monday at noon, that's yesterday, uh, this casual little email slides into my inbox from the USGA. Uh, It's the USGA announcing that all four of their major events, the U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Open, the Senior Open, and the Senior Women's Open are all going to have a two-hole playoff if they reach a playoff. And that is not a huge change for three of the four, but it's a huge change for the Men's U.S. Open, which eliminates and, and puts to bed the idea of an 18-hole Monday playoff, uh, which a lot of people were fond of. Dylan, are you outraged by this this move? No, I'm really not. I saw some more takes yesterday when this news came out, and I don't need any time. I'm on board with this already. 18-hole playoff just doesn't make any sense, and I get that there's— doesn't you know, make any sense. It makes some sense. It really doesn't make sense. Why would—you know, you just played 72 holes. It wouldn't make any sense if Luke List and Justin Thomas, just because they tied— then all of a sudden, because they tied after 72 holes, they should play 18 more holes. Well, this it is the U.S. Open, the greatest test in golf. It doesn't make any sense. One hole makes plenty of sense. Two holes, sure, even better. Let's get a little more drama. Let's get some more action. Uh, late on a Sunday night, U.S. Open Sunday and at Shinnecock. I think it's awesome. Plus, I mean, every tournament now goes to a playoff anyway. We're <laughs> going to see the U.S. Opens for the next eight years go to a Monday finish. <laughs> I think this makes no, a lot of sense, and I'm on board. We haven't seen one since 2008. That's the idea. I know, but have you seen the PGA Tour this year? It's been like the last nine weeks of each gone to a playoff. It has been brutal, and I think that the fact that there hasn't been a U.S. Open playoff in the past 10 years is abnormal. I think we were very much due for one um, since Tiger and Rocco uh, in 2008. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. Golf needs to have some things that are its own that other sports don't have, and this was one of those things. It would have been cool to, to see this continue because it is a phenomenal theater. You know, if you look back a couple years ago, Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth were one yipped putt away from DJ from playing 18 holes uh, on Monday at Chambers Bay, which would have been phenomenal theater. Two top five players in the world competing for a major. I mean, that is the highest 
stakes that this game really presents. And so I agree with you. I'm not all in on 18 holes, but that was a cool thing. That, that was golf's own thing. You're right, and it's it's good for golf to have some things that are weird and don't totally make sense, and I guess that is what people are mourning with the loss of this 18-hole playoff. It's like, oh, that possibility that we're going to have high drama on a Monday. I mean, that would be kind of fun. Everyone's going into work and just like live streaming FS1 live uh, You know how much day. more fun you'd have on a Monday, that Monday? A lot more fun. I, I mean, we have pretty fun Mondays here at <sighs> golf.com. That's false. In the offices. Um, but I mean, you know, that would be the work dream. Uh, we would do a ton of traffic Could tell you that. Yeah. But no, I think, all right. So what do we have now? We've got, we have a, we have the small straight of playoff formats. We got a one hole playoff Yep. at Augusta. Well, it's sudden death. I mean, it could be, it could be as between one and infinity. We got the two hole playoff now at the U S open. Yep. The three hole playoff at the PGA PGA. championship and the four hole aggregate. At the British, two holes is brilliant. I agree with you. I just a part of me wanted to be there for an eighteen-hole playoff, and that's just not going to happen. But two holes is brilliant because think about think about the Masters last year. We had a playoff between Justin Rose and and Sergio Garcia, and they're teeing off on eighteen. Justin Rose fans won right. All of a sudden, it's it's Sergio Garcia's to lose. Let's say that there was a second playing of the eighteenth hole, or maybe they started on seventeen and went seventeen eighteen. And, and Justin Rose, fans went into the trees. All of a sudden, it's not just Sergio Garcia's to lose, but there's a chance for Justin Rose to to play some hero ball, uh, to com- completely strategize his way back into it. Maybe you're down one after after one hole, but it all it takes is one bad drive. If if these playoffs tell us anything, I'd rather see phenomenal play win a major than one mistake that 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 poor tee shot by Justin Rose. I guess Sergio Gar- Garcia did make birdie, but how many times have we seen a playoff won by someone making something great as opposed to someone that's just kind of fading and makes a mistake? Yeah, I mean, there is something delicious about golf's, you know, big blow-up mistakes, but I think you you are onto something. The question is, what is the best number of playoff holes? Uh-oh, time's up. The best number of playoff holes is two, and I think the U.S. Open— So they nailed it. I think they nailed it. And they moved into a new space. All right. Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. A fellow Take Smith of ours. Uh, senior Take Smith. I think his middle name is not A. Uh, it's or Steve, His middle name is A. Take, like Stephen A. Take Smith. He had some words to say about our colleague Tiger Woods. He has words to say about everything. These words, uh, some of them made sense. He started off with facts, which is always good base your argument in something concrete, and then he sort of wandered off the path. Let's listen to a, a few seconds of it. Why don't we stop playing games and just get down to saying why? It's because Tiger Woods needs his mojo back. It's because he can't get it. And guess what? We're all the reason why. What if we didn't care, y'all? What if we had wrapped our figurative shoulders around Tiger Woods and said, my man, we could give two cents about your personal life. Just keep handling your business on a golf course. Who knows what may have come of that? Instead, we placed our moral compass on his shoulders. The weight was so great, he looked as if he was drugged when he held that ridiculous press conference years ago telling the world, I am so sorry. Last checked, he didn't cheat on us. None of us were his wife, his children, his family. 
Yet we moaned and moaned away. Now look at us. Desperate for Tiger to make golf interesting again to someone other than the avid golf fan. All because we wouldn't mind our damn business. That's what we get for messing up a great thing. What do you think of this take? What, do you, what is this take, I guess? Can well, we crystallize it out at all? Well, shout out to Stephen A. for bringing golf back to, to, to ESPN and SportsCenter. I think they do a pretty good job on SportsCenter, but it's pretty rare that, that golf actually fits into ESPN all that often uh, when they're not owning an event rights. Uh, Stephen A., to me, perfect example of mainstream national media parachuting into a topic, seeing Tiger highlights on sports in our all weekend and, and and just with some outlandish take on a story that requires a lot of nuance tiger woods comeback requires a lot of nuance especially at 42 years old the idea of us ruining tiger as fans is 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 laughable i mean tiger ruined himself in many ways to get from where Stephen a discusses him in in like 2008 mode and 2013 mode to where he is now tiger did a lot of this to himself so the take is 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 outlandish at best. Well, let me say that the timing of this take is probably the best part of it because, look, Tiger hasn't been here for a few years. Since 2013, he has not been a relevant PGA Tour player. There's a lot of time in there to say, oh, you know, Tiger's ruined, whatever. We ruined Tiger if you're coming with that. But now this is the best we've seen Tiger play golf in almost five years. And now he's coming in with, we ruined Tiger. What are you guys doing? Getting excited. It's just... It's spectacular, but it, it's it's just wrong. I mean, I okay. guess it's important to say. Yeah, it's wrong. Um, I will say that you're not necessarily right, though. I, I I know that you've been in on the Tiger comeback since what the second round of the Hero. Oh yeah, yeah. before that, before that even. So since I saw so you, chipping in yeah. September. <laughs> so you so you're biased. Um, a lot of people are biased. The, there are eternal optimists in the Tiger world, and just because he's playing well now does not mean that they were correct at one point or other saying that he'd come back. Just because Tiger Woods finished in the top 15 at a Honda at a course that he absolutely dominates does not mean that his comeback is on an amazing track. Okay, but all right, here's Stephen A's big thing is, okay, Tiger Woods isn't going to be back to who he was. That's not like a hot take. That's such a cool, lukewarm take. Yeah. Like, oh, you're saying Tiger's not going to be the greatest player in the history of the sport again at the same level? Okay, I'll give him that one. However, Stephen A, I think, needs to just realize also that Tiger played some good golf between, you know, his whole car accident, weird apology tour, fiasco, self-exile. You can't connect these things. He played a lot of good golf between there and then his body just breaking down over the next few years. And I don't think we are necessarily to blame for too much of that. No, I am ready to back us off of this extreme Tiger expectation love that is just spreading across the internet in in response to his 12th place finish at the Honda. Let's let's like walk before we run with this guy. Like Tiger Woods' comeback was always going to be, unless he hurt himself again, it was always going to be strung out over a couple specific events. One being the Farmers, two probably being the Genesis, three being the Honda. So basically, he's, he's followed suit right now. He played the Honda very well, but he played it to even par, and he played it to eight, eight shots behind the leaders. So like as, as much as we'd love to say, hey, a 12th place finish is, is the best finish he's had in a long time, 
he's eight shots back of one of the best players in the world. Was he actually going to contend? Did he actually contend? No, I mean, like, Ricky Fowler finished tied for second at the U.S. Open in 2014, but he lost by eight shots to Martin Keimer. We cannot, we cannot look at a 12th-place finish and imagine that all of a sudden Tiger Woods, he's a contender to win right now because he's not come close to winning or contending, truly contending. No, I think it feels like he's close to contending. And he, I mean, did he contend this weekend? No. Not quite. No, I will not let you tell me. He was on the and- edge of contending. Stephen A. Smith, Tiger's coming back. He's not coming all, all, all the way back. That's ridiculous. We didn't ruin him. No, and I, I don't think we got all the way we wanted to with that topic, but you know, we have to move on. That is the, the, the nature of this podcast. Now, one thing that we can continue to track with Tiger Woods, win or lose, will be his Ryder Cup standing because he's 76th right now, and he's only going to improve, uh, I guess, unless he misses all of his cuts, in which case we won't have to track it at all. But that event is more than seven months away. That is a long time in the golf world. We saw Alex Noren and Tommy Fleetwood both make a run at the Honda Classic this weekend, trying to contend for a PGA Tour win of their own. Our own very website asked the question on Tour, Tour Confidential this week, besides Tiger besides Tiger Woods, what other storyline are you most interested in in the golf world? And Matt Kuchar's caddy, John Wood, he, he chimes in on Tour Confidential all the time. He pointed out the strength of the European squad as the biggest storyline this side of Tiger Woods. Are you on board with John Wood? I mean, yeah. Tommy Fleetwood, the most You're awesome wrong. article I've read so far this year was Tommy Fleetwood coming to conquer America. <laughs> uh, and for a minute on Sunday, it looked like he was going to conquer the Honda Classic. I mean, he was on top. He was looking good. A- am I saying that the European team is going to beat the U.S. squad? No way, especially with my boy, Ches Reevy making a serious <laughs> charge at the back end of the Ryder Cup team for the U.S. Uh, but yeah, I've been impressed with the Euro squad. This is this is ridiculous. The amount, and this is what the Ryder Cup does to people. This is what golf does to people. This elongated year lo- year round season. You start looking off in the distance at your favorite events. We we think about Masters odds. The moment that Justin Thomas wins the PGA Championship in August, we start thinking about the Ryder Cup. The moment the Ryder Cup ends, you know, and we know that it's going across the pond. Let me remind you of a guy named Danny Willett, the the son of Yorkshire, who this time two years ago, he was on top of the world and he was going he was going to get even higher by winning the Masters. By the time the Ryder Cup rolled around at Hazeltine, he was absolutely shook as a golfer. His back was breaking down and he was shook. And that is one example of what happens over the course of six months. Players coming in and out of form. Rory McIlroy and Sergio not playing their greatest golf right now. I'll bet that they're in pretty damn good form for the Ryder Cup. But Alex Noren playing the best golf of his life right now, I think there's a probably pretty good chance that he has a lull by the time that comes around. And he doesn't have this exact form that he has. It, we, are, we are overreacting to the, the, July, or the January and February performances of European tour players, particularly on the European tour, where they're not playing against PGA Tour players in the same level of competition. Alex Noren has been dominant on the European <laughs> tour for a while. He's not just playing his first good golf, but he lives in Jupiter now. He's I think he's going a little more American. Yeah. He's wearing the Nike gear. Americanized. Americanized, which means that we're paying a little more attention to him. And he had this way of disappearing in the major championships for a while there, where people would say, wait, what's that guy's world rank? How is he? Who yeah. is he? 
And so I think it makes sense. It actually, you know, makes a little more sense that he's going to be playing a little bit better now that he's, you know, in the mix a little bit more and he's going to can we re- contend. He's going to he's going to win. Can we remember who beat him on on Sunday? Who beat him? Alex Norton and Tommy Fleetwood, they try riding up the leaderboard. And who's there waiting? Justin Thomas. Luke List. Justin Thomas isn't even the top two player on the American team. I mean, that, that is how good this American team is. I think when it's all said and done, and we won't, we won't know this for years, but this is going to be the best American Ryder Cup team ever. Brian Harmon. A great player. Currently ranked number six on the squad. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is interesting. Look at the first three men out. First four men out. Let me read them to you. Chez, Bubba, <laughs> Phil, Patrick Reed. All four of those guys are going to end up on the squad. No, they're not. No, they're not. Which who is Phil's going to be on the squad? Phil will play without Patrick, question. Patrick Reed will play. Uh, Bro- it, Brooks Kepka's on the squad right now. Time will tell what happens with him. Sure, and I think that over the course of time, a phenomenal ball striker is going to move his way back into the Ryder Cup standings. But all I'm saying is that the best team that plays in the Ryder Cup this coming fall will be the Americans, and. It's a small sample size of a bunch of different matches. So, yes, the European team can win. But for us to be looking at performances right now, that is like so incredibly premature. And I know that that is part of the gig here, but it is so far premature that it's it's almost So what's your point? We need, to, we need to chill out? We need to chill out. And we need to move on to the next topic. Come on, Chaz. All right. That segues us perfectly, actually. Does it? Rory McIlroy. We presume will be a member of the Ryder Cup team on the Euro side. <laughs> if he isn't, he better be like <laughs> something will be up. Laid up with two broken legs. Wow. Sean Zock in the golf.com podcast <laughs> hopes Rory no, McIlroy breaks not. both legs. <laughs> Sean Zock, though, not far away, uh, is fed up with your Rory is coming back takes. I've been saying this for a long time. Is Rory back? <laughs> Rory's so far from being back, it's absurd. I mean, think about what we would what we would need to actually pronounce him back. We would need him to to win on the PGA Tour. Um, we would need him to contend in a major. I mean, this guy is so far from the level of golf, and, and albeit that level of golf in 2014 was phenomenal, all world, historic. But he is so far from that. If you can bring yourself back to Valhalla, in 2014. Rory had just won two tournaments in a row, and he was basically what Dustin Johnson was going into the Masters last year. People were writing him in as the incumbent, like it's it's going to be a done deal. He is the man to beat on a Tiger 2005-2001-esque level. And Rory does not have it working in his short game. His putter is like a freaking roller coaster. It's all over the place. He's left, right, up, and down with that thing. And his driver is always going to be an asset, but his long game with the irons, unless he's playing in Dubai, I haven't seen a lot this year out of him. We've heard a lot of takes. I've probably even made a take or two. Rory wants it now. Oh my How do you gosh. feel about this those the takes? Worst. This is the worst part of, of he the He wants Rory's. it this year. It's different. Oh my gosh. You know me. That's why you're saying these things, to get under my skin. But the fact that unless he's coming out and like parading as I'm back. I'm I'm ready. I'm married now that I'm I, you know, I've got all this time on my hands to focus on golf. Unless he's coming back and saying that. I know he he said iterations of it this well, year. Well, I think Maybe he once. is kind of saying that. It's it he's saying that. 
the media's run with it. He's kind of doubled down on it. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm engaged now. Uh, he's married, engaged in the game of golf. <laughs> Engagements in Rory have kind of a tricky Different history, means, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to somehow that feeling to translate into winning golf tournaments. And, you know, he keeps kind of doing this thing where he just shoots around par and he'll have a good day and then he'll shoot four over. And, yeah, you know, Saturday he had to get back in the mix. Instead he was like six over through ten uh, and just way out of it. So I don't know. He's I went a, into this year. I was a, the ultimate Rory's coming back guy. Were, yeah. I said. Are you backtracking and it's freaking February? I'm not backtracking. I'm just saying the person that you hate is me in some ways. I said Rory would be the number one ranked player in the world by the end of this year. Yeah, that's not going to happen. He's number one zero you know currently. How, you know how great he'd have to play? He's still ahead of uh, U.S. conqueror Tommy Fleetwood. One spot. He's about. He could catch Brooks Kepka. Rory McIlroy is a phenomenal golfer. I'm not saying anything less than that. All I'm saying is that this time of year, or maybe a couple months prior, every single year of the past uh, three years now, 2016, 2017, and 2018, there has been this collective golf media, golf fans' perception. Rory McIlroy, he's going to get back into it. I expect a big year out of Rory. And what has he done? He hasn't done it because he hasn't he hasn't contended in a major since the major that he won in 2014. He hasn't. He's played a lot of great golf, and he's backdoored his way into top tens at Augusta, at Chambers Bay. But he has not. Like there, there's a big difference between backdoor top tenning and actually getting into the top three. Rory's going to win the Masters this year. I can just tell. I'll be amazed. I can just he, tell. I'll be amazed if he wins the Masters because he wants it. The guy ends up running into double bogeys, and he ends up running into poor nine-hole stretches on the back nine Friday or the front nine Thursday, where he just takes himself out of it. And, you know, he actually, at one point, was a couple years ago, was right there with Jordan Spieth, final grouping on Saturday. And what happened to Rory? He exploded. And I'm sure he wants it. I'm sure he wants it just as much as he always has. But that does not, that does not equate for this guy. Because there are other people like Dustin Johnson who's better than Rory right now, and Jordan Spieth who's better than Rory right now, and Justin Thomas who has just as much firepower as anybody, and who's better than Rory right now. So that that's where I sit. Is like if you're gonna come and tell me Rory's back, Rory's coming back this year, he's coming back strong. I just can't believe it until I see it with the guy. Give me Rory. Give me Rory at Augusta. Rory is coming back. He's a new man. I heard him say it in a press conference, and I'm all in. Yeah, that's all it takes a lot of times is to hear it in a press conference, but we tend to hear it every single week. I mean, what else is he supposed to say anyway, you know? I don't I don't really, I'm good. He can. He, can, he has he sort can, of said that actually in the past, and exactly. I think he realized he should, you know, really more say, oh, I, I do actually like to win. Yeah, well, T59 at the Honda this past week, he'll play Valspar for the first time in his life, check off that PGA Tour scheduling requirement um, with a new event, so... Good for Rory if he can, if he can, you know, I, I think it'd be a good sign, I suppose. We've gone way over time with Rory, but it'd be a good sign if he plays really good golf at a pre-Masters event that he's never played before. Yeah, I mean, any good golf is a good sign. What, he had a uh, second place. He had a runner-up finish in Europe this year. That was a good sign, but yeah. not good enough for tough critic Sean Zock. Tough critic. Uh, that's it for this podcast. That's it for Rory. That's it for Dylan DeChair, and that's it for me, Sean Zock. It is... 9.15 right now. I am starving. It's time for breakfast. 
pre-breakfast pod. Yeah, it's it's time to to get going because I think we've got a meeting coming up. But that's it for right now. If you like this podcast, this little back and forth between Dylan and myself, let me know about it on Twitter. Let him know about it on Twitter. What's your handle? If you hate it, we'll kick you out. What's your handle? Uh, Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N underscore D-E-T-H-I-E-R. Yeah, it looks like Dethier. I like Andre Ethier. My handle, uh, at Sean underscore Zock, S-E-A-N underscore Zock. Until next time, that was a different version of the Golf.com podcast. Mm-hmm.